Good morning. All right, who did this? Who put this in the, the pulpit? I found this down here. I was like, man, what are, you, what are you guys trying to do? We're handling snakes now. Yeah, we're handling snakes. There we go. Well, good morning, and thank you for coming out today. If you would, would you take out your worship bulletin? I just want to go over a couple of quick announcements. Just a reminder that the baby bottles that we are collecting money for Abigail Pregnancy Center are due next Sunday. So if you have one of those baby bottles and can bring it back, we'd appreciate it. If you forget and want to bring it back later at another time, that's fine too. But um, we will be collecting those next Sunday. We're also going to be doing communion next Sunday. So I hope to see you there and, and have you participate with that. Uh, we are doing away with our online giving since we are able to meet in person instead of paying fees to carry on that and to do that. We only have a couple people taking advantage of that. So we're going to do away with the online giving just so you're aware and, and don't do that. Um, besides that, I really don't have anything. I just want us to prepare our hearts to worship, right? I want us to approach this time and think about who we are worshiping. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The one who left heaven. Who came down and bore a cross so that we could have our relationship with God restored. That's who we're focusing in on. That's who we're singing to. That's who we're giving all praise and honor and glory to. Amen? And I want to pray for every other church that's going to be doing the same thing today. I want God to bless their services. I want God to speak through their pastors, right? I want the word to ring loud and clear in their hearts. I want to, I want to draw together with other churches like that in our community and other people. I don't want to focus in on the couple of things that we disagree with. I want to focus in on the things we do agree with, that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Man, I hope, I hope you don't just come in here and, and we start singing and you're just standing there with your hands in your pocket. Man, we're singing to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? Amen. Let, let's give him the honor and praise that he's due. And while we're doing that, can we remember our brothers and sisters in here? Our brothers and sisters around the world and know that there are some heavy things that people are dealing with. There are some heavy things, but we are going to the Lord with them, right? And whatever you're dealing with right now, the time we worship with is the perfect time to just go lay those things down at his feet and entrust them to him, right? Perfect time to worship him. The altars are always open. Man, if the Spirit leads you while we're doing praise and worship to go down there, go down there and pray. Man, if, you're, if, you're, if we're doing the uh, sermon, go down there and pray. Man, you want to grab a flag, rip it off the wall, start waving it, do it, right? Let's, let's just follow the Holy Spirit's leading and be faithful to that. Doug's going to have a time of prayer. And if you want to be prayed for directly, we're going to invite you to come up and, and to do that. Somebody's asked to be prayed for, so we'll, we'll do that 
and, and lift you up. I want to, I want to, um, last week, Ismode and Franz, would you guys stand up for a minute? So, Ismode and Franz speak Haitian Creole. Is that, it, so there's a little bit of a language barrier, but we want to lift them up because they have kids in Haiti right now. We want to lift up their family. We want to pray for their kids. And we want to, we want to pray for their country. It is, there is a lot of unrest, right? Their, their leader was assassinated just recently. There's turmoil there. We want to pray for peace. We want to pray for God's leading, right? And we want to do anything that we can to, to lift this family up, all right? All right. All right. So would you stand with me? Sorry, I just told you to sit down, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for you. We thank you for this church family that you gave us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are dealing with heavy weights, with sicknesses, with things that they don't understand, with not being able to be with their friends and their family. Lord, I pray that you'd be in these situations. Lord, we give these situations to you and just ask you to work Father, I pray that you would invite us into being a part of that process. If there's anything that we can do, help us to be faithful to your call. To our friends and families who don't know you, who reject you. Lord, would you give us the wisdom? Would you give us the words at just the right time to speak truth into their lives? Lord, would you, would you combine our churches in this community would you, would you not let the enemy separate us over stupid little things? Lord, would you combine us with our brothers and sisters to carry on your work? Father, not just in this community, but in our country, in this world, Lord, wherever you would have us go. Father, call us, call us to that. Whether it's here at our workplace whether it's to another country, lay that down in our hearts and help us to be obedient. Lord, with heavy burdens come, come challenges. And Lord, and sometimes, sometimes it just requires extra grace. Lord, if somebody says something to us, would you help us to respond with grace? Somebody reaches out to us. Would you help us to respond with your grace? Let us be agents of that. Father, it's you gave that to us. Help us to share it. Help us to share the good news. Father, help us to be bold, not to shy away from that. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen.
Yes, sir. 
upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turned his face toward you and give you peace. We sing Amen, Amen, Amen. 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 upon you and a thousand generations and your families and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you, he is with you, he is with you in the morning, in the evening, and you're coming and you're going, and you're weeping and rejoicing, he is for you, he is for you. Generations 
and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May His presence go before you, and behind you, and beside you, all around you, and within you. He is with you, He is with you. Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, beginning at 14. Revelation 3, 14. We're going to be looking at the last letter to the, to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, the church of Laodicea. We've only done three out of the seven churches, but I think this is a good sampling for this. And if we're going to make it through Revelation, there's a, there's a lot more to get through. So we're going to do the last one. Today, I want to remind you that Revelation is an apocalyptic book. That means it is a book of hope, right? You don't normally think of the apocalypse and hope together, but it is. It is a source of hope. Um, is there anybody here that really gets into TV shows and movies? Like, you get into it, and, and maybe you start, like, almost forgetting that it's just a TV show or a movie. Is there anybody here that does that? Okay. So I know this couple. I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to tell you anything about them or anything like that. But they, they talk about, sometimes they will, they will come over and talk about these shows that they like to watch. And there are shows that I like to watch, too, like SEAL Team and, and NCIS. And sometimes when they talk about these shows, I'm like, you, you do realize that they're just a TV show and they're not real, right? And I, I know they know that, but sometimes when they're describing it, it almost seems like they think it's real to them. I, originally, I thought it was just the, the guy in the family, but it's also the wife, too, which was really shocking to me. In fact, like not too long ago, she was telling me about this episode where this woman came into this room, and I don't know if she slid or jumped or flipped into this room, and, and she made two shots and took two people out and, and she was saying, man, it was just a, this lady took these amazing shots and took these people out and she was just really impressed with it. And I was like, you know, it's not real. Like she didn't really do that, you know. 
She didn't really make that shot. Anyone else do that? You get so wrapped up in a show like that. All right, so I, I kid about this, but I, I do it too. I do it too. Like, I used to love watching the series 24 with Jack Bauer. Anybody else watch that series? One person, that's it? You missed Jack Bauer? To see, all right, two people. All right, you need to watch that show. It's pretty good. I'll probably go back and watch it, and there's probably a ton of swearing in it, and you'll be like, why did you say to watch that? Hopefully, hopefully not. I don't remember any of that. But I used to watch this show, and I loved it. It was different. It kind of had a different take on, on TV shows. Like, each episode was one hour in that, in that day. So you were only looking at one hour in that person's life. So it had a different, it was kind of clever in how it did it. But there's one episode, this one time, where, where Jack finds out this, this person gets kidnapped, and there's this terrorist threat going on, and, and Jack finds out where this person is at, and he goes there, right? And he calls for backup. He, he calls the agency that he's a part of. He's like, I found him. You need to get here fast. You know, they're going to kill these people, and, and we need to move now. And they're like, man, all right, hold on. We'll be there later in five minutes. And Jack's like, we can't wait that long. There's, we have to get in there now. And so he's like, I'm going in alone. And I'm like, Jack, don't do it, right? <laughs> hold on. Just wait, man. It's a trap. There are way too many people there for you. You are never going to make it through this live. And that's what I'm, I'm thinking in my head. And, and uh you know, my heart starts to elevate. And, like, it's causing me some anxiety and some stress and everything like that. Um, you, you ever do that? You ever go that far? All right, some of you are nodding your head. All right, all right, these shows sometimes stress me out until I remember it's season two. <laughs> There's eight seasons of 24, and Jackson, all of them, right? <laughs> So somehow Jack is going to make it through. He is going to be okay. I don't have to worry. And when that thought comes over my head, when I realize that, I can relax. Ah, oh, right? I know Jack's going to be okay. I can relax. Knowing what is going to happen helps me. That's what revelation is. That's exactly what it is. That's the hope that we have with Revelation. We, we know how life turns out for us. We know how it ends for us. And so we can live our life differently. We can live our life with hope. That's what it did for these churches that it was sending, sent to that were facing extreme persecution. They knew how it ended up, how things turned out. That's why in chapter 1 it says, hey, there is a blessing to the person who reads these words aloud and to the people who take it to heart. If you seriously take the book of Revelation to heart, there is a blessing that comes from it because you know how the story ends. You can have that confidence. In Revelation, we see Christ is the victor. He wins. The enemy is defeated, right? And we get to spend eternity with him. So when the people are facing persecution, they can say, what can you really do to us? Kill us? Man, t death is gain, right? I could spend eternity with my Lord and Savior. Christ is going to raise us from the dead, and we're going to spend eternity with him. You can take my life, and you can make my life hard now, but I still have another season coming after this one. I've got a million seasons coming after this one. I'm, I'm looking at a new earth 
where there will be no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no more brokenness, right? That's what I have to look forward to. What can you do to me right now? Yeah, you can make my life difficult. Yeah, you can take my life. But that's what I have coming. No matter what happens, there's another season coming. Amen? Revelation gives us a heavenly perspective. It's the big picture. And that's the hope that we have. All right, well, letter to Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 14. It gets a little rough, all right? You guys ready? Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Write this letter to the angel. Remember, angel is church leader of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. We Remember, Jesus always describes himself in a different way to these letters, and this is how he starts off. He is the amen. Do you remember in that song that we just sang, we sang amen, right? So let it be. Um, think about when you say amen, when a preacher says something and you totally agree with it and you are testifying, that is the truth. So let it be, all right? Jesus is the incarnation of that. He is the truth, right? He is the fullness. He is the embodiment of truth. He is the completeness. He is the finality of everything. He is the amen. Amen? He is the faithful and true witness. As Jesus was, when he was here in the flesh, he is faithful. He is the true witness of God. And on judgment day, he will again be the faithful and true witness for us all. Amen? The Laodiceans, what Jesus says, man, that's the truth. So the Laodiceans, with what they hear, with the truth bomb that he's about to drop, they better take note of it. We better take note of it. Then he finishes it with the saying, he is the beginning of God's new creation, meaning he is the source of salvation and new life. Right? It is only through Christ's death that we can be born again. He is the source of the new life, the new creation. We get to become a new creation in Christ. What he did on the cross makes that possible. So that is who is speaking when he says and starts off in verse 15. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some translations say vomit you out. And, and we're talking about projectile vomit coming out. I remember Ethan. Ethan used to be a projectile vomiter. You probably don't remember this. I remember him sitting on one side of the couch, his head on the thing, and he projectile vomited all the way over to the other side, right? Yeah. That, that's what God's saying. You make me so sick, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Whew. Right? Yeah. A little background on Laodicea. If you are a first century Christian and you lived in this city, you would feel blessed. This is a, a, a well-off community. This community had a booming economy. It was at the intersection of major trade routes. It was along the Silk 
road, right? So a lot of goods are passing through this area, a lot of wealth. The marketplace would have been phenomenal. They would have stuff from all over. It was also the banking center region of the area. So all the banking is going through this area. It's textiles, it's cloths, it's clothing were sought after, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But people wanted it from all over the world. It had the corner on this eye salve. This doctor created this eye salve, a medicine to treat eye problems that people would come from all over the world to purchase here. This is a wealthy city. You ever go into a community and you can just tell there's some money there, right? There's some suburbs in Columbus. There's some suburbs in Chicago. And there is some money there. This, this would be a place that had all the best stores. They had, you know, they'd have a Chipotle, right? They'd have all the good stuff. They'd have the expensive car dealerships where you could buy the Beamer or the, or the Mercedes. Um, and if you were a Christian in this town, chances are you could afford it. You could buy all the good stuff. You could shop at all those places. So at the end of the day, this seems like it would be a great place to live. It only had one problem. There was no water. That was its big problem. No water source here. The, the place was planted. It was strategically planted at the intersection of trade routes so that it would be financially good, but there was no good water source here. What they had to do was bring water from a neighboring community, buy pipes from miles away, and that's what they did. So they constructed these pipes. They pumped the water through all the way to this town. The problem was that by the time it got here, because of the distance, it was lukewarm. It wasn't that good. On top of that, there were a lot of minerals that got put into it. So it tasted bad, and it smelled bad. So smelly lukewarm water that just does not taste good. If you, would, if you would cook your foods with this, your food would not taste good. If you would bathe with this, if you would do that, your, your house would smell. You would smell from this stinky water. In contrast, all right, a neighboring community of Classe, this, this is um, uh, really close to them. They got all their water from snowmelt. The snows would melt and it would be cool and refreshing water, right? Herapolis was another neighboring town, the other close town, and they had these amazing hot springs all over the place. Think of mini jacuzzis everywhere you go. You just, you're just walking, you just plop right down in there, you get in there, and you have that, that healing warm water, right? So that's what God is saying, oh, that you are either hot you provide that healing water or you are cool, that you are, you are refreshing, but you're neither of those. You're just kind of lukewarm. Laodicea was just stuck in between these places and had that, that smelly water. Water that wasn't really good for anything. That's what he's talking about. Didn't refresh you. Didn't heal you just stunk. And when you drink it, you'd want to spit it out of your mouth. You'd, it was disgusting to the taste. And Jesus says, man, you, you're like that. You make me want to throw up. This is a heck of a rebuke here. You notice in this, in this church, there is nothing good that Jesus says about this community. 
And a lot of the other ones, there's something at least he starts with the good stuff. That's what you're supposed to do when you're a good leader. You start with the good stuff, you know, or, or maybe you say something bad, but then you always make sure you have a lot of good stuff to say. Nothing good. Nothing good in this whole entire letter. Most of the other churches, um, they have that. Uh, most of the other churches are dealing with some, some intense things, right? like idolatry, right? Idolatry, sexual immorality. One was denying the uniqueness of Christ just so that they could fit in with society. And yet this is the strongest rebuke of any of the seven churches. You're not hot. You're not cold. There is no good use for you. You're half-hearted in your commitment. You're half-hearted, and it just doesn't work. It makes me want to throw up. How did the church get to this place? Well, we see the answer in the next verse, verse 17. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. That's how they got there. They didn't need Jesus. We've got money. I don't want to make this sermon about money, all right? That's just what their issue was. There's tons of other things that we could substitute besides money. But that's what they said. We've got money. We've got everything that we need. Jesus just got pushed to the fringe. Jesus got just pushed to the outside. There's a, there's a great example from the history of this city. In AD 60, there was an earthquake that devastated this entire city. Now, what happens when we have a natural disaster that devastates a city in, in America? The government reaches out, right? FEMA reaches out. We send money. We send help. We send aid, all right? It's the same thing back then. Rome offers to help them out. And you know what they say? Don't worry about it. We got it. We don't need any help. We've got enough. We've got enough money. We got everything we need. We don't need you, Rome. And Jesus, we don't need you either. They didn't need him. They pushed him away. If we are not careful, we can do the same thing ourselves. We can put our faith, we can put our trust in our own bank accounts, right? Or whatever that is in our education, in another person. We can depend on things more than we can depend on God. Who or what do you put your trust in? It's easy now, man. There's a good economy. Inflation's going up pretty, pretty rough right now, but man, you're selling your house, you're going to get a good penny, right? There's plenty of jobs available. They're paying bonuses. Holy smokes. I'm thinking about going to get a job at Taco Bell, right? <laughs> do we need God? Do we need him? Now, we would never say it We'd never say, we don't need you, Jesus, right? Nobody in here. Is anybody in here ever going to say that? We don't need you? No. But do we live our life in such a way that does that? We don't, we don't need you. When do we talk to God? If things are going good, I don't need to talk to him, Right? I can just leave God on the fringe in the case of an emergency. If there's an emergency, if there's something happens, then I can go to them. When life takes a bad turn, then I can reach out to them. Then I'm talking to God. A couple, this no couple in here, please don't think names or anything like that, long time ago. 
a while back, though, a couple reached out to me, and they were going through something heavy. And they're like, man, can you come pray for us? Can you just meet with us and pray for, pray for us? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And they told me what was going on. It was an honor, you know, praying for that situation. It was a scary situation, right? Next Sunday, uh, I was encouraged because they came back to church. They hadn't been coming to church, all right? But because this happened, they came back to church. And, and uh, praise God, the situation worked itself out, you know, within a short period of time. And guess what? I never saw him after that. How many times did that happen? Too busy for church, too busy for God. And they're, they're living their life right now. And I would, I would venture to say, I don't know, but it seems like God's on the fringe. They don't need him anymore. We gotta be careful. We don't do our life that same way. I'm talking about somebody else, but how many times have I done that? How many times do I do that where, man, my quiet time just goes away and I don't need them? Oh, then something comes up in the church or something happens and then, ooh, and I start to get stressed out. Man, then I'm on my knees, then I'm praying, then I'm reaching out to him. But those other times, ah, sometimes he just gets pushed to the fringe. Where's he at in your life? Listen to what Jesus says at the end of verse 17. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wow. We, we have to get to the place where we realize that God is the source of everything. He is the one who sustains us. Without him, there is nothing, right? We have to realize that everything is from God. They are gifts from God on loan to us. Everything. We have nothing. Branch life, John 15, 5. I'm the vine. You're the branches, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We are poor wretched, blind without him. That's the truth. What difference does this truth make? Well, think about it. If everything is just from you or a result of you, it's your money, right? You can do with it whatever you want. These are things that you worked for. You can, you can spend them in any way. They're, if the, they're your sources of security, right? You're going to depend on them you're going to trust in them. You're going to do everything that you can to hang on to them and not let them go. You'll do whatever you can to remain comfortable with them. You'll have Jesus on the fringe, though, and you'll be lukewarm. If it's a gift from God, on loan to us from God, we're going to treat it differently. Remember the parable of the talents? Remember when we gave you 50 bucks, 20 bucks, 10 bucks, right? You didn't just go spend that money haphazardly. You probably thought about it. You probably treated that money a lot different than you treat your own money because you knew it was given to you from the church. But if everything is God's, if everything is from God, shouldn't we approach it the same way? The danger of wealth pushing Jesus to, side, to the side is an old problem. Back in Deuteronomy, when God brought the Israelites into the promised land, to the land of Canaan, a land rich with vineyards, 
They had homes that were already there and built. They had a structure and a lot of affluence there already. And God said this, Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord thy God. There's a danger. You don't need God. You think you don't need God. We have a tendency to push God away, push him to the fringe. The question for Laodicea, the question for us today is, who or what do we depend on? Who or what are we turning to? What do we love more? The gift or the giver? The Laodiceans had come to love and trust in the gifts more than the giver. I was listening to a pastor talk about this time. He was invited to speak at this governor's prayer breakfast. He was seated next to the governor, to, next to Supreme Court justices, to a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of important people, and he said it was a lot of fun. By contrast, three days later, he was speaking in a prison. As he was going into that prison, he said, man, I just feel a lot more comfortable at that prayer breakfast than I do going into this location it was their Sunday evening worship service. And as he walked into the room, he was, he was greeted with friendly handshakes, even some hugs, warm smiles. And he was totally surprised by the atmosphere. Then they began the worship. And the singing was real. It was loud and authentic, and it just grabbed him. I don't know if you've ever been to a Gideon's breakfast or anything like that where, where those old guys and gals sing. But man, oh, it is powerful. You can, you can feel that. He began to teach them. They all grabbed their Bibles. They eagerly opened them and read them and turned to the passage. They were taking notes. Do we do that? I mean, how many of us have our Bibles open right now? that were dependent on God, right? He said it seemed like they were hanging on every word. Afterwards, he met those men, and they encouraged him. They thanked him. They shared what God had spoken through, through the word, to him. And he thought, man, this is where I belong. These are my brothers, he went on to say there were like 20 of them involved in heavy theological study, getting their degrees while they were in prison. They told him that when they were done there, they were going to go out and minister for Jesus Christ. And as he was driving home, he just kept thinking how amazing that was. Several of those guys accepted Christ while they were in prison. All they had was a small cell, not so good food, right? No privacy, and yet they were going deep with Jesus. And Jesus was all they needed. We think, poor them. Poor them, right? Compare that with me. I have freedom, I have money, I have nice things. And as a result, I don't really need Jesus. Push them to the fringe. Not a lot of room for Jesus in my schedule. What about yours? There are other things pushing them out. We used to pray for the Chinese church. Lord, help them with their persecution. Free them from that persecution. We have heard from church leaders, and they said, quit praying that. Quit praying that. Instead, pray that we're faithful in the persecution. 
We've noticed that when the persecution lifts and our affluence starts to grow, that we start turning our back on Christ. That's what they noticed. (laughs) My natural desire or inclination is to pray that they're freed from persecution. They said, pray we're free from materialism. What do Americans struggle with? Isn't that a big part of it? They said the persecution drives them to Jesus Christ. They thrive in it when they make Jesus everything. And when they're freed from that, man, there's less room for Jesus. And it moves them out to the edges. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This church, they were blind. They thought they were good, right? They thought they were good, but from Christ's point of view, they were spiritually poor. Oh, God, don't let that be me. Don't let that be you right where we think man we're good we don't have we don't need anything we're good and Christ is saying man you're poor blind naked miserable and I'm about to spit you vomit you out of my mouth church board man can you really listen to that and make sure we stay on the right path right let's not be thinking about Oh, you know, financially we're doing good, you know, and, and thinking that we have it all together. Are we on the right path? Is Jesus Christ front and center of everything that we do? That has to be the focus. We have to keep that, right? I don't want to ever stand before him and say, him say, man, I don't, even, I don't even know you, right? Lord, I was pastor. Didn't I do this work for you? Man, I, I don't even know you. Depart from me. Do you know him? Is he a part of your life? Is he the center of your life? Well, how do we avoid this? How do we get away from lukewarmness? Jesus says this, So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. Come buy gold from me, refined by fire. These people knew gold. I told you it was the banking center of the world. They had tons of gold, but they didn't have this kind of gold, a different kind of gold. All throughout Scripture, gold refined by fire is always talking about the character and strength of a person that was developed under, the, under pressure, right? under stress, under persecution, under trial, under trouble. If you stand for Christ, if you listen for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, it's probably not something easy, right? It's probably something that you're going to have to, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you totally rely on Jesus Christ. But guess what happens in that process? You get gold. You get maturity. Then you're rich. Then you're well off. You'll grow closer to him. You can't buy that with money. You can avoid that, with money. You can't buy that with money. Jesus also says to them, sell them robes of white. Laodicea was known, I said this in the beginning, known for their fabrics. 
right? When the sheep drank this water, it turned their wool purple. They had purple sheep, like in Minecraft, right? Walking around. Purple is a very desirable color for clothing. So when they shared these sheep and made this into to that clothing, man, people from all over came for this purple garments. Jesus tells them, hey, buy for me white garments. Jesus says, you're Beth's clothes. The good purple stuff doesn't even compare to the garments that I offer. It doesn't even come close to my garments. Right Throughout Scripture, white garments were always talking about righteousness. Righteousness can only come from Jesus Christ. He says, come to me and let me put these robes of righteousness on you. What does righteousness do? It gives us full access to God. When we are in Christ, we are clothed by his righteousness, we can have full access to God. You can't buy that with money. You can try to buy access to God by doing things. It's not the same thing, though. Righteousness is only something that Jesus provides. It can't be bought. The last reference is to this eye salve that was sold here. I told you a doctor created this. It used to help people with all sorts of eye problems, and people came from all over the world to get this. And Jesus says, come to me and buy ointment for your eyes so that you can see. They trusted in their wealth, and it was blinding them to what God had for them. God wanted to open their eyes. God wanted to show them things that they had never seen before, the treasures of the truth of his wisdom. But they didn't need Jesus. When you see the world, your money, your time from God, and, and, and from God's point of view, it's a totally different perspective. When you see all that through God's perspective, God wants to take our blindness away and show us what's really important, right? Is it more important to accumulate treasure on earth or in heaven? We all know the answer to that, but do we really believe it? Sometimes, to me, I don't know about you, the things of this world look pretty darn good. And I chase after them. Hard. I'm glad Adam, you didn't say amen there. Sometimes I just want things more than I want him, and so I compromise. And every time I'm, <laughs> I'm reminded, those things don't satisfy. They don't. I think we all have moments like this. I think we have all have times where we don't need him and we push him to the fringe. Times of being lukewarm. Hear Jesus' words. Verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Eating with somebody in those days was deep, intimate fellowship. It was something that lasted for hours, and that is what Christ is offering to us. Deep, intimate fellowship with him. What on this earth satisfies your souls? What on this earth can satisfy your souls? Nothing but that. 
What have you bought? What have you struggled to get? What have you chased after? And if you, and you just thought you had to have it, and as soon as you got it, a month later you were bored with it, or it didn't satisfy, and you're on to the next thing. Christ is offering something that satisfies the longing of your soul if you let him in. Where are you at? Have you gotten a little casual? Is your schedule so full you don't have time for him? Are you depending on things more than you depend on him? Do you need him? Or do you just need him when something goes wrong? If you're lukewarm, hear the warning. You know what amazes me? These all, all these letters to these churches begin with these powerful images of Christ, right? He's, he's holding the stars in his hands. He's walking around. He's got a double-edged sword, right? He's the amen, the faithful and true witness. He is the one who conquers. He is the one that nobody can intimidate. And yet by the end of these letters, he's marginalized by them all. He's been abandoned. He's been discarded. And the only time people are interested is when they need something. And yet with humility, he knocks on the doors of our heart. You abandon me? You scorn me? You marginalize me? I'm kicking you to the curb. You're done. I'm, I'm praying for grace, right, when that happens. I'm, I'm praying for grace, right? But that's my attitude a lot of times. Here's the king of the universe experiencing people that are abandoning him, and yet he's knocking on the door, saying, open the door. Let me in so I can give you the good stuff. You're poor, you're blind, you're naked, and you don't even realize it. You're going after the things of this world and they're nothing. Let me in so I can show you what will satisfy your souls. Would you stand with me? What season are you in? Is it a season where God is on the fringe? Maybe you got too busy. Maybe you don't need him. Do you hear it? Do you hear him knocking? Can you hear that over the noise in your life? Over all the stuff in your life? Do you have time to let him in? Do you have time to spend hours with him in deep, intimate fellowship? Do you desire that? Or are you content to have him live on the fringe? Where are you at? Where are you at with that? My friends, I know how attractive the world can be. But he's got far more, something far more better for us. Open the door. Maybe you had the door open at one time, but maybe you've pushed him out. Open the door again and invite him 
into your life. Invite him to be the center of your life and orientate your life around him. You'll never regret it. You'll regret the opposite. You'll never regret doing that. Nothing satisfies like the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he's knocking on the door to your life. Let him in. If you don't know Christ, can I invite you to open the door of your heart, of your life? When he's coming to you right now, if you don't know him, and he's saying, follow me, would you open that door and say, Father, I will. I give you my life. I give you everything. I will follow you. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for being self-centered and self-focused. Forgive me for doing life my way. Forgive me for trying to be God. Lord, I surrender that to you. Lead me. Have fellowship with me. Man, if that's you, pray that. Pray that prayer. Talk to him. Talk to me. And let me know so I can help you on that journey. Amen? And if you got to the place where you're too busy, too self-centered, too focused on things, here is knock again. Surrender your life to him. Give him every area of it. And determine to follow him completely. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that you speak to us. Lord, we hear the rebuke. It might seem like a bad thing, but Lord, we hear you. And we have an opportunity to respond. Father, I pray that if there's somebody who don't know you, that they give their life to you, that they trust you for their salvation, they trust in what you did on the cross for their righteousness. Lord, I pray that you'd, you would put on that robe of righteousness so that they could have that intimate fellowship with you once again. Lord, let them be bold and let them tell other Christians about it so that those brothers and sisters can welcome them into your family and help them in their walk. Lord, I pray that there's, if there are people in here like me who have times have said, I don't need you. Lord, help us to repent. Help me to repent. Help me to be Mary and not Martha. And have that time at your feet, Lord. Show us that it's more important than the things that we do. Father, help us to remember the branch life. Apart from you, we can do nothing. If we want to be used by you, Lord, remind us of how important this intimate fellowship is. Lord, do not let us be lukewarm. Convict us. Rebuke us. Discipline us. Draw us back to you. Do whatever it takes. Lord, we love you. Help us say, decide right now which way we're going to do. Answer the door or don't. Lord, Father, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>